So why do these crises continue to appear? And they do. When, when uh, in, in 2005, the third way appeared immediately on the heels of the Charlie decision in Quebec. Klein saw a chance to make a move, and he made it. At that time, Iris Evans was the Minister of Health. And, you know, the, the, the argument is always the same from that side. They're saying it's too expensive, it's going to get more expensive, people are going to get older, they're going to need more health care. We can't afford it, we have to stop paying for it. Well, that argument is, is, is the one that they made in 2005, but the way they make it is a manipulation of numbers. I'm, I'm going to get further into the mathematical portion of my talk, but before I get there and tell you what those numbers show us, I want to teach you a little bit more Latin. Um, there's two creatures here in this uh, um, presentation in the economic argument. We normally, uh, anthropologically, have described ourselves as homo sapiens, where we consider, with some arrogance perhaps, that we're wise, because that's saying wise man. And then the other argument comes from this um, money side of the table, this ideological side uh, buttressed by Frederick uh, von Hayek and Milton Friedman and Gary Becker and people from the Chicago Economic School who described this creature called Homo economicus. So you have Homo economicus on one side and Homo sapiens, presumably with some wisdom and compassion on the other side. And they're making those arguments. It's really easy. Okay, I'm going I'm to try and simplify the math for you. If you have for example, the statement during the third way that the entire Alberta budget will be consumed by Medicare costs, okay, which was the statement that was made. They said, um, you know, the costs are going up, and if they keep going up like this, pretty soon there won't be any money left for anything else. Well, you know how you do that? Just cut all the other costs. It's easy. You know, people want Medicare, leave that in, whack away at the other costs, and say, look, what was once uh, 20%, 30% is now 50%, 60%. That's really easy to do. But you need a more objective uh, number there. You need, you need something that, that has a more of a consistency and is less uh, amenable to manipulation. So, so the number that I like to use and the number that I've seen used variously by Greg Flanagan, who did a recent study on, on the effects of aging on healthcare expenses, like Michael Rockless, who's a well-known uh, 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 professor in the field from Toronto. They talk about gross domestic product and the percentage of gross domestic product that's, that's being used. And in Alberta, that number is consistently and has been consistently over the last three decades at about 5%. About 5% of the gross domestic product of Alberta goes to Medicare. Okay? Presently, we're looking at a gross domestic product in Alberta about $250 billion, and 5% of that is $12.5 billion. I mean, these are big numbers. It's true. 
But you can't make an argument of increasing expense if more than 80% of the people of the province want Medicare and have publicly said and have said in surveys that they're willing to pay for it and they understand that it's expensive. And you, and you can show that 5% that of your total production in the province is going to pay that. Why, why can you, how can you possibly argue that the costs are too great? I don't think you can. I don't think you can make that argument in any jurisdiction. And um, yet, the argument continues to re rear its ugly head. Right now, we have, we have a situation in Alberta where, where the Minister of Health, Ron Liepert, is completely contradicting what his premier said in the publicized television debate in the last election, where he said the third way was dead on arrival, and he said we are not touching Medicare. And now we have a Minister Liepert who has said that, uh, that he wants to move... Uh, public insurance to private insurance. He said that he's looking for some kind of uh, blend of the American and Canadian systems. I mean, it's really curious to imagine what what sort of blend he's looking for there. I mean, which which piece of the American system is it exactly that that he wants to blend? For example, um, you know, where in the United States um, you have numbers like 50% of the homeless people in the United States are homeless because of the lack of Medicare. Because when you have to make a choice between your house and your health, or your spouse's health, or your children's health, or your parents' health, very often the choice is made, well, we can live without the house, but we can't live with it. Because we have to make that choice, and so they make that choice. Half of those people who are homeless are homeless because of the medical bills. The insurance industry in the United States and the the um, you know the, the way the sickness industry, and I think it's fair to call it a sickness industry in the United States. It's not Medicare; it's a sickness industry. It's not health care; it's wealth care. Because they're caring for the wealth produced by the system, which is one of the reasons why the Canadian system continually comes under attack. Because it's a hundred and sixty million dollar, or sorry, hundred sixty billion dollar prize if it were privatized. Moreover, it also represents, as was stated by President Obama, that if he had to start all over again, he would start with the Canadian system. I think he should have done it, but, you know, maybe he has constraints that I'm not aware of. But I, I thought that was a bit weak need of him, but never, never mind, he did say it. He did say he would uh, do, use the Canadian system, start with that. So um, when you see that, when you see, for example, that before the financial crisis. 50% of bankruptcies in the United States were because of, of medical expenses. We, you start to wonder, which, which exact part of this uh, blend is Mr. Liepert wanting to implement into the Canadian system? Certainly, Canadians don't want it. Albertans don't want it. 
Um, so um, when you talk you know, about the universality of insurance, when all of you know at some point in your, in your histories, if you've been a member of a faculty, a union, uh, any group, AMA, I mean, there are always benefits insurance-wise in, with group insurance because you're actuarially, you know, the, the greater the number of people, the, the, the more risk is modified. And so if you have a universal system which includes every person in the country, your costs are going to be less. And moreover, in, a, in the United States, 30% of the costs of their system are administrative costs. Because when those insurance companies uh, you know, are called to pay, they have a rule. Well, actually, they have three rules. They're don't pay, don't pay, and don't pay. But, you know, you need lawyers and you need administrators and you need bean counters and you need a whole phalanx of these sorts to administer that system. And that's exactly what Mr. Liebert has put in charge of his super board, exactly those kind of people. And they've made exactly those kind of decisions. They're looking at, you know, the classic model where... What do you do to cut costs? You cut labor costs, right? Because then your profits go up. What do you do? You freeze uh, hiring, right? You don't hire any more RNs. Mr. Duckett, the CEO, said, one I don't hire is one I don't have to fire. In uh, December 2008, uh, Mr. Stalmack said that he was looking to hire... I think it was 1,500 nurses, this is Vision 2020, et cetera, et cetera, the new plan in March of 2009, all of a sudden we didn't need any at all. Uh, the, the, the other point is, you know, really, really nasty and cruel, I think, because, because you know, there's a tendency in a, an environment when you have that kind of a executive control, like Duckett has in the Super Board, if it were a normal business, it's easy to pick off the weak and vulnerable. You know, you, you, you can look at marginalizing production and whacking off this bit. And, you know, if it's just widgets you're making, well, I mean, it's business. But it's not widgets we're making here. This is people's health and people's lives that we're busy with here. So when you try and, um, you know, shut down the psychiatric hospital in Alberta... You know, where, where, where our best uh, expertise and, and our, our uh, people with experience in psychiatry and our, our, our vulnerable people are all sort of being, uh, you know, given the best care at the level where that care is needed. They're drawn from all over the province. Well, what happens when you throw those people out? I mean, they're not going to die right away. They have to just survive as best they can. And because the best they can isn't really good enough in a complex, stressful society, you're going to have other problems, nests of problems. You know, the reverberations continue through the society of, of such a maneuver. In uh, advisory committee to the School of Justice Studies just recently, this point was brought up by some of the people there because they know what's going to happen. They know how it works. And, and uh, 
you know, it, it gets uglier and worse from there. You, you look at the, the whack at the, um, the supports for developmentally disabled people that was just chopped off, $11 million. You look at the 70000 that they're trying to take away for toiletries for the people in the psychiatric annual expenditure of 70000 70000 is nothing. 70000 sounds like a lot of money, but one of those CEOs made that already on Monday, last week. And, th and, and that's it. I mean, but of course, there's a hundred times that much. There's $7 million to have a glad-handing train for a couple of weeks at the Olympics. Because then we come into the sense of entitlement. Mr. Leapett is very hard on entitlement. He begrudges anyone who turns 65 and thinks they're entitled. And he begrudges nurses who've who've put their efforts and their money where their mouth is and, and their heart is to get their RN degree and said, you shouldn't think you should be entitled to a job in Alberta. No, entitlement's reserved for the entitled. The people on that glad-handing $7 million train, they're entitled. And that's where it should be because the transfer of wealth can only go one direction for homo economicus. It's going to go up where it should go. And don't, don't talk about, you know, this socialized medicine in Alberta. <clears throat> Klein, Mr. Klein has said in his new incarnation at the Fraser Institute, although one wonders what he could possibly do there, that his greatest regret is that he wasn't able to push the third way through. And remember, the third way through in the request for proposals said that the object was the continuum of transfer from public insurance to private insurance. So, so you know, the decision is ours, really, to make. 5% of GDP, pretty consistent. It might go up, you know, a percentage, uh, uh, like 5.6, I think, was Flanagan's estimate you know, over the baby booming into 2020, but that's nothing. And, and, and it's nothing in the sense of value for money or value for investment or any, any way you want to look at it. It's what we want, and we, and we can have it, and we do have it, and we don't want to lose it. Now, I just want to uh, get a little bit into the numbers here. I think I'm running to, towards the end, but some really significant numbers. When you have this strange, uh, I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm starting to think it might be that the, the oil is soaking the synapses of the brains or something because it, it, it's, you know, I, I just want to say that the money in, is there. Like the logic, the efficiency, the emotional argument, the moral argument, the economic argument, you know, best practices from Medicare, uh, good work they've done in Alberta, like reducing the, the wait time for hip and a knee replacement from 19 months to 11 weeks because they pooled the orthopedic speciality. I mean, there's, there's lots of ways you can, you can create a more efficiencies within the system, and they should be doing that. Of course they should be doing that. But in a, in a province which... And, 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 and this, I want you to think about. Stelmach just made a deal last year with Syncrude. 
Okay? And the deal is this. Alberta, Alberta, Albertans get 1% of the production, and Sinclair gets 99%. Okay? Now, a barrel of bitumen on the market, rough numbers, 50 bucks. Okay? So our share of that is 50 cents. Their share is $49.50. Okay? Now, to put that into context, we've all heard of a country called Iraq. Iraq um, made a deal with the same oil companies who comprise Syncrude. You know, uh, the same multinational oil companies that are reveling in this gift of oil, free oil, or virtually free oil. And Iraq is a country which, as we know, has gone through a lot of stress lately. You know, the government of Iraq, you could say, or you should be able to say, is certainly not as arguing from as strong as a position as one would imagine the government of Alberta would be arguing from. But yet, the deal that they made with those same oil companies in Iraq gives, and uh, the last two deals were the, the oil companies, the majors, for developing one of the oil fields was the oil companies are going to get a dollar forty a barrel in one case, and another case a dollar thirty nine a barrel. That's what the oil companies are going to get. And the government of Iraq is going to get the other side of that, which in the case of oil right now at eighty dollars a barrel is going to be seventy eight dollars and sixty cents going to Iraq or $78.61 going to Iraq. But in Alberta, it's the other way around. Now, imagine a, a government that, that, you know, I mean, Michael Rackless described them as possibly economically illiterate when he spoke here in October. I think he's very diplomatic, Mr. Rackless. I think there's probably be other words than economically illiterate for what they're doing, but... But a government that's arguing that they don't have the money? I mean, yeah, perhaps they don't. In the last three years, I'm talking 2006, 7, and 8, the oil companies alone, the major oil companies in Alberta, had profit equal or greater than the entire budget of the province of Alberta. And, of course... You know, that profit doesn't count expenses, which one could argue are profit too. For example, if you put a billion dollars into capital costs in the oil sands, you can write it off today because you can write it off in the same year. You know, I have a small business. I get to write off on some things 10% a year. On computers, I get to write off 30% a year. But the oil companies get to write off 100%. So if you put a billion dollars into the oil sands, you subtract that billion from revenue, and it's not profit. So the numbers are, you know, there's a $2 billion deficit purportedly. I'll just end with, with these three points that we have to look to cut, right? So it's not a question of do no harm. It's get the axes out when you're looking at the super board's attitude towards health care. The, the, the missing money, uh, 
there was $2 billion left on the table, so said the Auditor General, in, in, by not counting the, the oil revenues properly, and the Alberta government said, oh, never mind. We don't, you know, that's just money on the table for those other guys. There was um, uh, $2 billion given for carbon liberation in this budget right now. They're calling it carbon capture, but what they're doing is subsidizing oil production by pushing this volatile gas under an old oil field to produce more oil. I mean, I mean the money's there, but it can't be used for health care. It can only be used for wealth care. Thank you.